Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Good. All right, so I got a couple disclaimers here before I begin. The first is, I'm sorry that I will be talking off of a laptop. I meant to print off my notes and uh, before I got in the car to come here. I, I don't have a printer, so that didn't help me out at all. So I just <laughs> brought my computer instead. The second thing is, if you can hear my heartbeat, it's because I'm very nervous. I'm pretty sure you can hear it uh, just from here. But I'm nervous for two reasons. One, it's just been a little while since I've talked in front of a group of people. But two, what I'm talking about today is super important and I want to do it justice, and I want to talk about it well, and that makes me nervous. You know, no pressure, but it is what it is. So, I'm Schaefer. I help coordinate community groups here at the table, like Jorge said, and community groups are going to be kicking off very shortly after the community group, uh, the community dinners. We have a community group leader training next Saturday, September 10th, so if you're interested in that, come talk to me. But Kevin asked me to come talk to you all about community. In case, you, in case you haven't been here in the last couple of months, what you might have heard Kevin mention is that he wants us to be a church on a mission. God's put that on his heart. He wants us to be a church where we fill people up and send people out, a place where we can be deeply loved and love deeply. And so to that end, as, as we move into a time of, of adding facets to our community group and doing it more and better and, and awesomer, if that's a word, I want to talk to you about why we do these things, why we have community groups, why we have community dinners, why we love one another. So for me, that starts with the gospel. You say, why do you have community groups? Starts with the gospel. It's like if you're in Sunday school and the, the teacher says, asks any question, you can raise your hand and say, Jesus, and it's probably the right answer, right? Like, you know, what comes after Monday? Jesus! You're right. But the, the thing is, everything's got to start with, as a, as a Christian, Pursuing a life focused on Christ alongside a body of fellow believers who are doing the exact same thing. Most of the time they're doing it better than I do. Everything should start with the gospel. So here's the thing though. I, when, when, you're, when you're talking to the table and you're not Kevin, Kevin's got a process for people who are saying stuff. You can't just come up here and, and say things willy-nilly and say whatever you want. You've got to like, submit an outline to Kevin, maybe a couple, like, answer a couple questions about biblical text you're going to be talking about or what books helped you a couple weeks in advance and he, he makes a couple comments on it and helps you work through it so, so that it's, you know, you don't come up here and word vomit. So I submitted my outline. I, I, I thought, okay, well, if I'm a Christian and the gospel is so important to me and I've got to start with the gospel, then my, my talk should be about what are the implications of the gospel in my life. Banner headline of the cross of my Google Doc with my, my outline on it. I don't want to join Xfinity Wi-Fi. Banner headline at the top of my outline, what are the implications of the gospel? And I felt good, right? And, I, and, and Kevin emails me back, and there's a little comment, you know, the little Google, Google Doc comments attached, the, the word gospel is highlighted. And Kevin had commented, what is this gospel you speak of? And then it hit me. It landed on my shoulders like a ton of bricks that I had fallen prey to a... <laughs> like my biggest pet peeve in the church, and that is I had used Christianese. I had assumed that I was going to use this Jesus-y, Bible-y, gospel-y phrase and that people would know what I was talking about and that we would all have the same definition for what I was talking about. I mean, that's the thing is, is uh, you know, Christianese drives me just, just up the wall. And this may seem like a little bit of a digression, but silly Kevin gave me a microphone and said I can talk about what I want to. And so I'm going to talk about Christian news for a second because it drives me nuts and I can. Um, we do this all the time. 
We say things like, uh, oh gosh, you know, you forget to bring something. You were supposed to bring, bring something to my house and, and you forgot. And I said, it's okay, there's grace for that. Grace, grace covers that. I do it all the time. And here's the thing. That's true. Grace covers you for getting to bring the book to my house. But grace is this huge, important, phenomenal word that we use lightly and don't define. I went to a very Christian high college, really super evangelical, hillsongy college that I went to. And at this college, if you made a good point in class or at Bible study or just hanging out with your friends, somebody would go, mmm, Selah. Selah is a word that comes at the end of Davidic Psalms, not even translated in the Bible. The word still says Selah underneath the English translations of the Bible. So here are these Christians who are using the word Selah with no earthly idea what the word means. It could be a musical direction, it could be another way of saying amen, or it could be like David slipping in a cuss word because he's that kind of guy. Like nobody knows what it means, right? And so it, it hit me when, when Kevin asked me that question, how important it is to define our terms, because the question, what are the implications of the gospel on our lives, is so important. It's so central to the Christian life. And we can't come anywhere close to answering it without defining what the gospel is. So, to find out what the gospel is, I was like, I've got to find a definition, so I should look in some places. So I looked in three places. The first one, I'm like, oh, I'll start with the dictionary. Why not? I'll look at, I'll look at the gospel in the dictionary. And uh, Webster says the gospel is the teachings of the Christian religion. That's it. Not at all helpful. The teachings of the Christian religion span like a lot of books and a lot of stuff that maybe people wouldn't say the gospel like, you know. Example, Red Sea splits, right? Cool, awesome, miracle, not the gospel, right? Uh... The gospel is something else. So I said, okay, so I'll, I'll go, I'll look at the book that I'm using to help me formulate my community leader training, my community group leader training. It's called uh, Called Together. Awesome. Chapter one, chapter title, what is the gospel? I thought I'd arrived, right? Well, the, the problem is this book uh, is not a textbook or like a book making an argument. It's a book that is designed to teach people how to lead community groups, and so the answer to the question, what is the gospel in that chapter, is six more questions designed for community group leaders to elicit a conversation, start a discussion, and for the group to come to their own conclusions. So helpful for community groups, not helpful for the purposes of our talk today. So I lastly did what I probably should have done to begin with, which is <laughs> look at the Bible. Um, whoops. So I, took, I, I turned to the Bible, and I noticed that in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 5, I'm just going to read it out loud to you. It says, Now I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the words I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, to, to Peter, and then to the twelve. A lot of us, when we think of the gospel, we think of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him won't die, but will, but will live eternally. And those two things go hand in hand for the gospel. God loved us. And so his only son, who was sinless, died a sinner's death, was buried, took our punishment, 
was resurrected on the third day and appeared to his followers. Wasn't resurrected and went off and did nothing. Wasn't resurrected and went immediately up to heaven. Was resurrected and appeared to people. People saw him. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That the sinless son of the only God died for our sins out of love and was resurrected again. So now that we've defined our terms, we can talk about what the implications of... What are the implications? If we accept the truth of that statement from 1 Corinthians, if we accept the truth of that statement from uh, the book of John, how does it change who we are? How does it change what we do? How does it change how we act? Um, And if you know me at all, you probably know that I'm the kind of person, still don't want to do Xfinity Wi-Fi, that I'm the kind of person who communicates my points using analogies. And sometimes my analogies make perfect sense. You walk away from there going, oh my gosh, that point was clearer to me than anything anybody has ever said to me before. And sometimes you walk away going, I have no idea what Shaver was talking about, but I smiled and nodded because I'm polite. Don't do the second thing, right? Don't smile and nod at me. If, 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 you don't, if what I'm saying doesn't make sense, scream or like, eh, or, you know, gesture at me. And if it does, smile and nod at me so that I know that you're tracking with me. Um, I want us for a second to pretend that life with God, that your spiritual life is a house. That when you accept the gospel, when you accept Christ, when you have been saved, you've built a spiritual house in which for you to live. I think that Christians pretty often treat the call of the gospel like a call to clean their house. They accept the message of Jesus and they say, well, I gotta make sure, I gotta clean the sin out, right? And I gotta mop the floor. I gotta build up the porch, I gotta mow the lawn, I gotta make sure that not only is, is my house free from sin, it's all clean, but my house is a pleasant place for other people to come visit, right? We, we, we talk about this all the time, that, that we rightly respond to God's call to righteousness by attempting to remove sin from our lives, from adopting a posture of worship, and, and, and by being the, the face of Jesus to others. Repentance, evangelism. And those things are awesome. This, is, this, this part's pretty important. I don't want you to hear me say that, that pursuing righteousness is bad. And I don't want you to hear me say that being the face of Jesus is good and godly and oftentimes incredibly selfless. But it's only one side of the coin, right? Um, there, it's, not the, it's not the complete picture. There are other people in the world who, who uh, their houses are falling apart. Their spiritual houses are falling apart. And, and there are other people in the world who don't yet have houses, who are sleeping on benches, right? But here's the good news. As people who have accepted the truth of Christ... And I'm going to say it again, I'm going to say it over and over again, that sinless, Jesus died a sinner's death, died, was buried, and was resurrected on the third day for us out of his love. We get to help others build their houses. We get to help others build their houses. And when people who already have houses but are struggling to maintain them, we get to go walk over to our neighbor's house with some nails and a measuring tape and overalls on and help them build their porch back up. Does that make, does, are you guys tracking with me? Does that make sense? Here's what I'm trying to say. The, the implications of the gospel are twofold. When we accept the truth of Christ, 
When we accept the truth of Christ, we're called to change the way we live internally, right? We're, we're pushed towards love and acceptance and forgiveness, and we're pulled, we're drawn by Jesus towards a different, mind, a different mindset and a different worldview. But, but when we accept the truth of Christ, it changes the way that we live, not just internally, but externally as well. So let me put it to you this way. Just after, after Jesus was resurrected in the, in the end of the, of the book of Matthew, um, he's hanging out with his disciples and he was talking to them on a mountain. And he, he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. It's called the Great Commission. It's so important. It's the last thing he said to his disciples in the book of Matthew. And oh gosh, what's so cool about that section of, the, of scripture is that Jesus, the last thing Jesus said to his disciples and then be righteous. It was help other people build their house. Make disciples. Teach them. And the cool thing is the cool thing about the life of Christ is if we're doing it right, the same thing will be done for us. If we're listening to Jesus' great commission and helping other, peoples to build their house, other people to build their house of faith and helping to ensure that their houses of faith are safe and clean and pleasant places to live and that they feel at home there, people will be doing the same thing for us. Uh, let, me, let me tell you a story about when, from when I was a kid. When I was like six, my parents got divorced, my dad moved pretty far away, and my mom has had uh, rheumatoid arthritis since she was tw 12 years old, so um, mobility is like a, a, a struggle sometimes for her. So she was working full-time, had two young kids, it was hard for her to get around, and, and was, as so often happens when th things like that happen, she was working to hold her family together with both hands, to hold her life together with both hands, and at the same time, she was still volunteering at my school, and she was still uh, teaching Sunday school at my church. And sometimes when those things, the lawn didn't get mowed in my house. I was seven, the lawnmower weighed like three times as much as I did, that's the way it went. And one day, I still to this day remember Gary Halverson, um, he, he was a, a good friend of mine, a family friend from church, his son Kevin was a really good friend of mine growing up and he dropped me off, I was like six, six maybe seven years old dropped me off at my house from, from playing with Kevin and noticed that the lawn wasn't mowed. And what Gary then did was start mowing our lawn. And I don't mean to say that Gary like came, knocked on the door, said, hey Drew, that's my mom, I'm gonna mow your lawn now. If you wanna bring me lemonade, that's fine. And what I don't mean to say is that Gary then went around to people at, his church, at our church and said, hey, I've been mowing Drew's lawn because she's having a hard time right now, so I've been mowing the lawn, so. What, what Gary did was he mowed the lawn without telling anybody. He, in fact, was intentional about making sure that we weren't home when he mowed the lawn. We would leave to go do something. We would come home, and the lawn would be mowed, edged, edged the driveway would be blown off, and for, like, years, we had no flippin' idea who was mowing our lawn. My mom called it the lawn fairy. It wasn't until I was like 15, and he, or maybe, maybe I was like 13, and he taught me how to use a lawnmower that I found out that it had been Gary Halverson mowing my lawn for so much, for so long. What a perfect illustration of the call of the gospel. Not only because it's kind of like a home maintenance thing, so it fits in with my analogy, but it's also just a perfect illustration of the call of the gospel. He wasn't worried that his own lawn wasn't going to get mowed. 
He wasn't worried that the little tasks he was doing for my mom weren't going to be happening at his own house. He was worried about making sure that my mother, his sister in Christ who was hurting, knew that people were there for her and were loving her. I was practicing this with my mom on the phone yesterday and I like almost started crying just talking about Gary Halverson because that has had an outsized impact on my life. He just mowed the lawn. It takes 25 minutes. It's not that big of a deal, but he just mowed the lawn. That's the life of faith. Little things where we love other people, where we turn the love that Jesus has left the image of God to other people and help them build their houses. When the Pharisees were trying to trip up Jesus theologically, they asked him, a question. It was, it was a gotcha question, right? Like, what's the most important commandment? Because they were just waiting for their opportunity to say, they're all the most important commandment. Gotcha! But Jesus answered by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love people. I don't think it's possible for me to accept the message of Christ to accept the gospel, and to live the same life I was living before. I don't think it's possible for me to truly accept that Jesus died, even though he didn't have to, for me when I came nowhere close to earning it, and to continue a life worried primarily about the state of my own house. I'll put it to you this way. When Luke in the book of Acts describes the life of the believers, he, he says they gave to everyone as he had need. They met together, they broke bread together, praised God with joy in their hearts. They lived in community for God and for one another. In that part of Acts, when Luke's concluding that description, he ends it by saying, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Gosh. Such a cool part of that, of that scripture is it's not singular. We tend to think of, of uh, the Bible as in terms of heroes of the faith, Abraham, Moses, David, Micah, Zerubbabel, not Zerubbabel, I just like saying Zerubbabel, the, the apostles, Jesus, and Paul, right? Like we tend to think of these things in, in, as heroes of the faith, but, but Luke, when he was talking in Acts, had the opportunity to say, and Peter gave to everyone as they had need. And Peter broke bread for the followers, and Peter praised God with joy in his heart, and God added to Peter's numbers daily those who were being fed. And that's not what Luke said. Luke said, they. It's community. It's doing things together, lived with others and for others. And when we do it right, we're better for it. Now, I, I want to acknowledge a couple things real quick. Living life for others is, is um, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard. It can be incredibly nerve-wracking to leave your house and walk to your neighbor's house with, some hammer, with a hammer and some nails and say, hey, you're, I know your porch is fine, Don, can I help you? So nerve-wracking. It's a lot easier when you walk out your front door and there are 10 of your friends with their tool belts on waiting for you, isn't it? It's pretty hard when you walk in your front door and your house is a mess. I mean, literally and figuratively, in the analogy and out loud, it's like, it's hard when you walk in and your house is a mess. 
It's a lot easier when you walk in and five of your friends are already there with the big yellow gloves and some Lysol on, right? And when you see somebody who doesn't yet have a house, do you know anybody who has built a house by hand with one person? They enjoy it? No, it's a lot easier to build a house with people. That's the point that I'm trying to make. We get to live a life of faith together. Helping people in our community, in our community groups, in our neighborhoods build their houses. That's not something we have to do. That's something we get to do. I want to end with, with a quick little story here. And uh, some of you might have heard it before, but I think it's, it's one that kind of illustrates what I'm talking about. I came to D.C. for the first time as an intern, and my second week, uh, my, first, my first Sunday, I got here Friday, my first Sunday, my roommate Googled non-denominational churches, Capitol Hill. I went to the table that evening on H Street. Uh, met Angela Kissel. Some of you might know Angela Kissel. She's the, uh, a pastor at the other campus. And by week two, she'd sat, I was like sitting like right here. Although, I don't know why nobody, it's like the splash zone up here. Um... She, I sat like right there, she, right, she sat right here, I sat right there, and she turns around, she'd met me once before, and she goes, hey, uh, my community group needs guys, I'll see you guys tomorrow night. Me and my roommate were sitting right there. And we're like, okay, you're Angela, right? Like, she told us where she lived, we showed up the next day, and every Sunday after that, I came to, to the table. And every Monday after that, I went to community group. And then I went back to college. I had a semester left after my internship. And I, when I graduated, I had a job offer to be here in D.C. and one to take me to Florida. And the one in Florida would have been much better for, like, my career, right? And I was talking to my mom, and I was like, what should I do? Should I go to D.C.? I love D.C., or should I go to Florida because it's good for my, like, it's a good job? And my mom said, Sarah, I think you should go to D.C. There are people there who care about you. You have people in D.C., who care about the whole Schaefer, not, not what you can offer professionally. They care about the whole Schaefer. And they'll be there for you. And you'll get to love them deeply. So here's my challenge for you all. There are signups for community groups back there. There's a community group leader training next Saturday. There's community dinners coming up. Go to those things. Get loved. Have people come and help you build your house and polish your floors. Get filled up with the communal love of Jesus that he has put these people in your life to speak into it with words of wisdom and joy and encouragement. And then, once that's happened, once you've been replenished, challenge your community group leader. Say, how are we turning this out? How are we loving on our neighborhood? How are we loving on the kids who go to school down the street? Challenge one another to find the people whose houses are falling down or who don't have one yet. Okay? Let's pray. Holy God, I thank you that you are a relational God, that you are a God who doesn't want us to live alone. I thank you that you don't give us things that we can't bear, but give us the tools to lift up the burdens that you put on our shoulders, God. I, I thank you that you place intentionally people in our lives who can fill us up with love, and I thank you that you give us courage to love other people.
In the week to come, God, I pray that the words of our mouths and the deeds of our hands will be uh, pleasing to you and that we will see you in new ways and help others to see you in new ways this week.